This is how the church family works. This is what family is about. We come together. Obviously, when people are going through trials, we come together. We're also able to celebrate together. This is Christmas Sunday, and we're able to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, which happened over 2,000 years ago. In 2020, admittedly for all of us, I'm sure because he has served as a, a tutor. What do you mean by that, Pastor? A divine tutor. God is in control of all things. Amen? And God has allowed, even ordained this year to be exactly how it has been. And I know many of us are ready to move on to 2021 and see if 2021 be more positive, more of an uplifting year. But there is a value in what 2020 has brought to us. The Lord has given us greater spiritual clarity on what is most important. The Lord has given us clarity on even such things as Christmas, as an example. Perhaps Christmas time, there's less gatherings. Perhaps, perhaps Christmas time may be seem a little bit less festive. Perhaps we may have missed our picture of Santa Claus at the mall this year, right? Certain traditions we're not, weren't able to do. But let me assure you, church family, although we're not able to travel to different places that we may have done in the past, doesn't matter. Because the essence of Christmas is absolutely intact still. And I'm going to give you a little bit of a history lesson to kind of take us through uh, how our traditions were built. And we're going to go even deeper and deeper and deeper. We're going to go even into the beginning. So the, to, to the question that we're going to be answering to today is, what is the essence, right, children, essence of Christmas? What is that essence of Christmas? We have two major holidays in a Christian faith, do we not? Easter being one and Christmas. Now, Easter was celebrated immediately. That was an immediate holiday. How do we know that? Well, guess what? Instead of worshiping on Saturdays, worship was moved to the Lord's Day, the first day of the week. Why? Because our Lord was resurrected from the grave. That's why. Immediately, Easter was observed. Immediately, Easter was celebrated, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why we call Sundays the Lord's Day. We actually celebrate Easter every single week because we recognize Sunday as the Lord's Day, the resurrected Lord. The second holiday that we celebrate is today, Christmas Sunday or Christmas. And Christmas is to, meant to celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, to, for the early church, it took much longer for us to recognize the birth of Christ as a holiday. It took much longer. Think about it. The apostles, I was talking to Brother Jason Chua earlier, and he, he pointed out to me the apostles never knew Jesus as a baby. They knew him as a grown man, as a 30-year-old man. That wasn't a focus, right? But later on, the church decided to celebrate the birth of Christ. And to understand the essence of anything it's helpful to go back. Let's go back into history a little bit. All right, so let's just kind of find out a little bit more of our Christmas traditions. How do we develop some of our traditions that we're fond of, that we love to do? Nothing wrong with these. But let's just find out. It'll be a fun look as we kind of understand how we develop some of our traditions. For example, let's just start off with a date, December 25th. Scholars believe that's probably not the date that Christ was born, all right? And quite frankly, scholars don't have a clue when Christ was actually born. Some people even think that Christ was born 
in the springtime because that's where the shepherds are out on the field. And oftentimes shepherds aren't on the, out in the field at night in the winter. It's freezing. So, but December 25th is a day that came around the mid-4th century, about 345 A.D. And how did that happen? Emperor Constantine, who was the emperor of Rome, tradition has that this man became a believer and, and, and the Roman Empire became a Christian empire. And so the Bishop of Rome was asked, when was Christ born? And he came up with December 25th. All right? Praise God. We'll take it. It's great. I'm grateful that our, the secular culture will recognize at least one day that the, that the, the God-man was born. On December 25th. We will take that. Now, why December 25th? Well, like I said... Emperor Constantine became a believer, hopefully, and what happened was that there were many holidays, many pagan holidays during the winter time, and perhaps Bishop of Rome wanted to coincide the sacred birth of Christ with other pagan holidays too, sanctify that time. Keep in mind, during those pagan holidays, festivals, there's debauchery it was just pagan it was unruly drinking partying immorality those are the things that were taking place so perhaps the bishop of Rome's his strategy was all right if we designate this time as the birth of christ since we're a christian empire we will sanctify that time more now did that work well maybe maybe not what happened was rather than uh, sanctifying that time, perhaps Christianity adopted some of the traditions of the pagan culture and that we've actually become more, Christmas has become more pagan than it has Christmas. So that's December 25th. But here's an example. Saturnalia is, is, a, is, a, is the a holiday to, to worship Saturn, who's like the agricultural god. And that was a time of debauchery, a time of just craziness. But during Saturnalia, that's when they gave gifts. Perhaps that's how we got into the custom of giving gifts. I know we like to credit the wise men for that. But culturally, we didn't recognize that for hundreds of years. Perhaps that's the time when we were able to uh, make gift giving a, a big deal in Christmas time. Let's take it even, take it, take it to a, maybe some decorations that you may have around your house. Mistletoe, right? What's the big deal about mistletoe, right? Well, many scholars believe that this is where the, the origins of mistletoe were from the Druids in England. You've got to go north of, of Rome here and get to England. And the, the, the Druids used sacred mistletoe in conjunction with their sacrifices to their gods. And the symbol of the mistletoe represented peace and prosperity. And they had, legend has it that if, you, know, you put a mistletoe and if you come across an enemy, you're supposed to embrace them. Right? And maybe give them a kiss. I'm not saying our spouses are enemies or anything like that, but that's how it started, perhaps, as the Druids. And that's where the mistletoe came into Christian lore. How about the Christmas tree? I got a Christmas tree in my house. We don't have a mistletoe, but we got a Christmas tree in the house, plastic one from Home Depot, and we put up a Christmas tree. We love it. We do it every year. We decorate it and, you know, all those ornaments with your kids' faces from when they're little and all that. We do all that stuff, right, guys? Martin Luther, the great reformer in the 1500s, is people credited him for dragging a Christmas tree into his house and putting up candles in it, on it. 
the Christmas tree, right? 1500s, that's many, many, many years later after the birth of Christ. How about Santa Claus now, right? We know Santa Claus. Santa Claus originated in Holland, St. Nicholas. Records have that St. Nicholas gave gifts to children. And they started celebrating St. Nicholas Day. And then he was known as Sinterklaas, right? And then that's how we get Santa Claus, right? Sinterklaas or Santa Claus. But during the Reformation, guys like Martin Luther says, no, we're not going to worship any saints. Let's, let's get, get off that emphasis. So Santa Claus kind of went down during that time. But in the 1800s, probably through marketing and other things, Santa Claus, Claus was brought back to our culture as we know it. And less religious connotations, less religious uh, 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 connections, but more about giving, all right, and perhaps buying and giving from, from the stores. So these are some of the ways that our, we've adopted some of our tradition. It has nothing to do with the original Christmas. Now let's go back further now. We learned a little bit of our traditions, which just so you know, I don't, I, we, we do it ourselves as a family. I think those are wonderful things. However, they could serve as a distraction. Let's go back now 2,000 years to the first Christmas. This is not our text today, but this is going to be a long introduction into John chapter 1. First Christmas, Luke chapter 2 talks about how Caesar Augustus, another emperor of Rome, called for a census, right? Remember, it's just a reminder of Luke chapter 2. There was no fanfare, no extravaganza. This was just a normal day, perhaps in the winter or maybe in the spring, right? And Caesar Augustus is the one who actually de determined the location by calling the census where Joseph needed to register in this town of Bethlehem. Normal place. Normal. This is not a celebrated place. This is an absolutely normal place, Bethlehem. And the setting was even more ordinary. It was in a stable because there was no what? No room for him in the end, correct? So he and his pregnant soon-to-be wife needed to be in a stable. And the people that were involved were absolutely ordinary. There were shepherds that came but. By night to, to worship the Lord, they're normal. Shepherds are absolutely normal people. And in that, and Jesus was born to ordinary parents. Joseph was a blue-collar carpenter, right? Normal. Mary was a teenage mother, pregnant teenage mother. Normal. But the event was absolutely extraordinary. This is where God enters into human history and is born as a child. So in order to learn the essence of what this is about, let's go even further back. We're going to go to John chapter 1 now. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 1. We're going to be from verse 1 to, uh, to 14. We're going to go back to the beginning here, all right? This is where the Lord is going to show us what the essence of Christmas is about even more in a deeper way here. So if you're able to rise and... Um, and read along with me, John chapter 1. John chapter, we rise because we do this to honor the Lord, for his word is sacred and holy. Okay, John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, the Bible says. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. 
In him was life, and the life was the light of men, the Bible says. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it or overcome it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John, John the Baptist. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was a true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. Verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made through him. And the world did not know him. He came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Even to those who believe in his name. Who were born not of, the, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Verse 14, finishing up here. And the word became flesh. It's Christmas. And dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray your word will be preached faithfully. And I pray your word will teach us more about your son so that we will love him more. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. See, Matthew and Mark, uh, the Gospels who covered the Christmas accounts, give more of a historical account. What happened? But John pulls back the veil and gives us what was happening with God as, he, as Jesus was sent to earth. So it's more of a theological account. This is powerful. So the question that we're asking, correct, right? What is the essence, right, children? The essence. What is the essence of Christmas? Point number one, let's get to it. Christmas is about the revelation, fill in the blank, revelation of God. The first Christmas told us who God is in the clearest, the most personal, intimate way where God came to us to tell us who he is. And he came to be with us. Verse 1 says, in the beginning. What does that mean, Pastor? That means before anything was created, the earth, the stars, the moon, the sun, the universe, all of created matter. Before anything was created, there was the word. There was the word. And John has a flair of connecting us back to the Old Testament. He's a Jewish man. And any Jew who read in the beginning would be harkened back into Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, the Bible says. And the Bible says right here that the word, the logos, the logos was with God. And he was in the beginning. What does this mean? That this word, this person, the word, this logos is eternal because he existed before anything ever existed. And the word right here says that he was with God. What does that mean? That means this word with is, has this attractional uh, meaning to it. It's like two lovers running toward each other with God. This was it. God was, it, uh, was had an intimate relationship with the word. This is talking about the Trinitarian love relationship. There's hints of the Trinity right here. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So this word not only was with God, but the Bible says the word was God. Now this is the clearest, most blatant uh, statement about who Jesus is. Jesus is God in no unclear terms. 
The cults have tried to attack this and say, hey, Jesus was a God. They put an A in their Bible verses with Jesus was a God. But this is absolutely wrong. Jesus was God in no unclear terms. Jesus was not a created baby God. Jesus was not a created angel. Jesus was God and is God. And he create. And verse 3 says this, he created everything. He's the creator of all things. He was never created. Jesus is God. Now, back in 2010, some of you guys know my testimony. I really believe I was a Christian when we moved from California to Washington, but the Lord was humbling me during that time. It was kind of like my own personal crisis. I was kind of in the crossroads of my career. And as Ben was talking about, you know, the things that were important to me were achievement, winning championships, although we go to the same university, Ben, you picked a good choice. That's what I was about. I, I think I was a Christian, but there was that tension within me. What's most important? Is it Christ or is it achieving these things as a coach? Well, the Lord brought me to Seattle and I was being crushed during that time. The Lord was humbling me. And I was thinking to myself, man, I used to look to the Lord and to the word to see kind of how can I be a better husband, be a better coach, be a better leader, all these things. But now the Lord was get, stripping all that from me and having me seek after him through the words. Says, I know I've been taught that Jesus is God. I know I've been taught that Jesus is the creator of all things. Brothers and sisters, do you see that what the scripture is claiming about Christ? There's a power in being able to see these claims for ourselves in the Bible. In no unclear terms. This is in the, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus is God. Claim this verse. Memorize this verse so that you know it isn't just a pastor telling you. It isn't your mom and dad telling you. It isn't a Sunday school teacher that told you. You know that Jesus is God because God himself says so. Jesus is God. And the Bible makes it clear that God is the one that created everything. Genesis 1. For example... The Bible says God spoke, God said, let there be light, and boof, there's light out of nothing. Out of nothing, God created everything. And this God who spoke everything into existence, existence is Jesus Christ. Colossians 1, 16, 17 says Christ, he created everything. Even the angels, even the rulers, even the authority, even the physical realm and the spiritual realm. Jesus is the creator of all things. He is God. And in verse 4, it says this, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus is the source of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And the, by verse 5 says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Jesus is the light. And I want us to understand, Jesus is the revelation of God. John 1.18 says this, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, that's talking about Jesus, he has explained him. So if you want to know God more, you study Jesus. That's how it works. God, the Father, has decided to reveal himself through his Son. That's why we make a huge emphasis here at Evergreen SUV to talk about Christ every single week. In my top of my notes, I have preached Christ. 
Make sure that the people hear about Christ. Make sure the people know more about Christ at the end of the sermon. Somehow are we learning about Christ? Because when you know more about Christ, we know, learn more about God. The more we learn about God, the more we'll love him. The more we love him, the more we'll trust in him, no matter what's going on. Genesis 1. God created everything in six literal days by the power of his word, the logos, his word, through Christ Jesus. So what is Christmas about? What is the essence of Christmas, children? Christmas is about the revelation of God. We learn more about God through Christmas time. All right, let's go to the point number two. What is the essence of Christmas? Point number two. Christmas is about the family of God. Fill it in. Family. The family of God. Not necessarily my family, not necessarily your own family, but the family of God. Christmas is about the family of God. Verses 6 and 8 talks about how John the Baptist, similar to how Ben went out to the streets, inviting people to join us here, but also praying for people, uh, sharing the gospel with people, hoping to introduce people to God. John the Baptist did the same thing. God called John the Baptist to tell people, to testify about the word, about the light. But He wasn't the light, the Bible says, but to testify about the light. That's why, brothers and sisters, we're not here to talk about ourselves. We're here to talk about Christ, the light. Amen? This is what this is about. And verse 9 says that there was a true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. What does that mean? That this light, Jesus Christ, tells us about God. And here it is. that Christmas is about the family of God. What you do with Jesus will determine which family you're in. Either you're in the family of God because you receive in and, and believe in Christ, or you're in the family of the world. There's only two families. There's only two big families, the family of God and the family of the world. Those who believe in Christ, who receive the light, are in the family of God. Those who reject Christ, reject the light, are in the family of the world. Let's start off with the family of the world here. We're talking about families here today. The family of the world, verse 10. He was in the world, Jesus was in the world, and the world, world was made through him. We understand this. Everything was made through him. And the world did not know him. Jesus enters into his own creation, and the world rejects him. What is the world? Is it talking about people? Is it talking about just created order, creation? The world in this sense here, in the context of John chapter 1, is talking about a world system. A way of doing things, a system that's dominated and authored by Satan himself. A system that is uh, the I ideal or the idea of living for yourself or living for others and, or living for anything other than Jesus Christ. Kind of what Ben talked about, kind of what I talked about. Am I living for Christ or am I living for my own achievements? Am I living for my spouse? Am I living for my kids? Am I li living for drugs? Am I living for sex, pleasure? Any of those things are part of the system that, the, that Satan himself is deceiving the world to believe in. Live for these things. These things will give you pleasure. Right? Has God, has God said, remember for Genesis chapter 3, take this, you'll be wise like God. Take this, you'll be more, you'll be more fulfilled. This is what Satan has done to fool the world. 
And the Bible says they did not know him. That means that the world that did not receive him was in darkness. They couldn't see him. They, were, they rejected the Lord. An example of this is in verse 11. It says he came to his own. Who's the own? Who's, Jesus was born as a Jewish man. Keep that in mind. If we were to draw up Jesus, he should look like a Jewish person because he was born a Jew. His, mother, his parents, Mary was Jewish. He was born a Jew. So he came to his Jewish own, and those who were his own did not receive him. The Bible says they, they rejected him. They rejected him. Let's turn to John chapter 12 here. If, you, if you're able to turn to John 12, go to verse 37 here. Let's kind of understand why the Jews rejected Jesus. Why would Jesus' own people reject him? After all, what, shouldn't they be the ones to accept him? John 12, 37 says, But th- though he had performed so many signs, miracles before them, to prove that he is the Messiah, the Savior, yet they were not believing in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, which he spoke, Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Let's jump to f- verse 40. He has, God has blinded their eyes. See that? And he hardened their hearts so that they would not see with their eyes and perceive with their hearts and convert it and not heal them. Why did they reject him? Because they couldn't see him. They were blind. God did not call them forward. In God's perfect wisdom, he did not call them forward. And verse, let's, here's another reason. Let's keep going down to verse 42 here. Nevertheless, many, even of the rulers, believed in him. What? So there's some people that believed him. Some of the Jews believed in him. What does it say? But because of the Pharisees, these are religious rulers of the time, they were not confessing him. Why? For fear or because that they would be put out of the synagogue. Verse 43, for they loved the approval of men rather than the approval of God. The fear of man, they, ba- they basically love the approval of man. They love the religious system that they're a part of. And they weren't willing to give that up. So therefore, they're not fully in. They're kind of flirting with the idea of like, oh, Jesus, okay, I could see these miracles that you're doing. I like you, but I'm not with you because there's, it'll cost too much. Have we done the same today? Perhaps you're listening online or you're here because a friend or family member invited you today. Or perhaps you've even grown up in a Christian home. You've been part of Evergreen for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. Perhaps you've never been adverse to Christ. Maybe he's ne- you've never seen him as an enemy. But Christ has never really fit into your own lifestyle. Just like the Jews, they believed, but they weren't willing to give up the synagogue. They weren't willing to be hated by their fellow man. Have we said yes, Jesus, and brought him into our lives on our terms? You see, this doesn't work that way. We cannot fit Jesus into our lives. Rather, we have to fit into his. This is how this works. Now let's talk about the family of God. The family of God. The family of God. Verse 12 of John chapter 1, going back to John chapter 1, starts off with a big transition here. The words are important in the Bible. That's why we study them and, and, and try to understand the full weight of the the, the words to give us more color, more meaning. It starts us with, but. 
So we just talked about a bunch of people who rejected God, who are the family of the world. But it says, but, it's like, so John is saying, on the other hand, on the other hand, there's a big transition, big contrast here. That might have been dark, but here's light now. As many as received him, like a free gift, yes, I receive you, Jesus. I receive you, Jesus. I will fully submit to you, Jesus, as my God and my Savior. The Bible says he gave them the right, the authority to be called children of God. There it is. Brothers and sisters, if you have received Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have trusted him, you jumped into his arms, you come to him on his terms, you are a child of God. You're in the family of God. Amen? This is what Christmas is about, that we get to be part of the family of God. By believing, by entrusting ourselves, the Bible says in verse 13, by trusting him as our Lord and Savior. Now, verse 13 is a verse that we need to take a few moments to look at here. How does this happen? Who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man. Meaning, we didn't choose to be adopted into God's family, but of God. God chose us. If you're a Christian sitting here today or at home listening, God chose you to be part of his family. It's an adoption story. We're, we're infants that God has be reborn, and he chose us to be part of his family, his wonderful family. See, anytime anyone becomes a Christian, as we were going out into the streets of La Puente this past week, Pastor Hugo gathered us together, and we're praying for the Lord's spirit to fall on the people. Because we could hand out all the perfect gifts. We could smile all we want. We could be as bold as we could be. We could present the gospel as clearly as can be. But apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, there is no rebirth. All it is is a nice gesture, which is good. But we're about the gospel business. So any one of us who has come to Christ, it was a miracle. It was a greater miracle than raising someone from the dead. We have spiritual rebirth. This is the work of God. So Christmas is about the family of God. Right? So Christmas talks about, is about the revelation of God. It tells us who God is. And Christmas is about the family of God. Now let's go to our third and final point here. This is the most touching, the most personal. What is the essence of Christmas? And this gets really, this final point gets to the heart of who God is about. Our fourth candle today represents love, the love of God. Christmas is about the love of God. Fill that in, L-O-V-E, love. The love of God. Shannon read it today. My brother referenced it today. We're going to talk about it today from the pulpit. Verse 14, let, read this with me. This is confirms and lets us know who Jesus is. He is the Word. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is an amazing verse. This one Bible verse could have preached to us. One, one fourteen says that he dwelt with us, and he put on human flesh. How do we understand that? That means God, Jesus, God, added on human flesh. He never stopped being God as a baby. But he set aside some of his divine privileges. 
to live as a man. When you think of the incarnation, this is what theologians call the incarnation, to put on Christ. God put on flesh. Excuse me. Incarnation means to put on flesh. God himself added flesh. So when you think of how Jesus became fully God, fully man, think about it in those terms. Don't think about it as in a subtraction with a subtractive mind, meaning like God gave up some of his divinity. No, no, no. God maintained his divinity, but he added on human flesh, human limitations. So he willfully, just like he willfully went to the cross, willfully set aside some of his divine privileges to become the God-man. And it says he dwelled with us. You know, this word might have been a better translation is he pitched a tent with us. This is what that word means. He pitched a tent with us. And as I talked to you earlier, John, the Jewish apostle, this would hearken any Jewish reader to think back how God tabernacled with his people. How Jesus himself visited the Israelites from the Old Testament. And it says, we saw his glory as the only begotten. Now, I want to explain that word for us. The ESV just says the only son. The only begotten is in the NASB. This word begotten could be confusing as the cults would say, see, he was born of God. He was, he was created. The word begotten is actually not there in the original language. Monogenes means the only unique one. So really, the, I, th- I think a better translation would be from my NASB. Would his, we saw his glory as the only from the Father, the only one of a kind, the only God-man. There's only one of a kind. There's only one God-man to ever live and will always be. There'll never come another Christ. There's one and only. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the one and only God-man. And as we talk about this, we saw his glory and his full of grace and truth. Now, why do I talk about this so much? Is this, I'm here to prove to you that Jesus is God himself. I know it says it in the beginning, but John keeps hammering this theme that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Because the tabernacle brings us to that point. But this title, this description of full of grace and truth, The glory was full of grace and truth is a divine title only reserved for God himself. So if you're able to turn to Exodus 33 here, I'm going to explain a little bit before we finish up here. Exodus 33, the context of Exodus 33, the people, the Israelites were in the Old Testament. They're traveling uh, uh, through the wilderness. They were freed out of slaves out of Egypt for 400 years. They served as slaves. And they're wandering through the wilderness. And what they did while Moses was on the, at the mountaintop hearing from God is that they made a golden calf and they started worshiping it. What in the world, right? So God sees this. Moses comes down, smashes the stone tablets, and God is angry at the people. And so in Exodus 33, Moses starts to intercede between God and the, and the people saying, please be compassionate, please be gracious, please forgive us. Take me, blot my name out of the book of life so they could be saved. I mean, what a man Moses was, humble man. And in that meeting that God has with Moses, Exodus thirty-three eighteen, 18, it says this, Then Moses said, I pray you, talking to God, praying to God, show me your glory. So Paul, Moses' one request was, show me your glory, God. 
And God goes on to explain that, that no man could see him. Otherwise, Moses would disintegrate in the presence of God. So God says, I'll show you my afterglow. I'll show you part of who I am to give you a better picture of who I am. Exodus 34 now. I'm going to just read a couple verses here. You'll know the connection here as I I talk about. Read this for us. Exodus 34. This will take you from one level to another here. This will show you a little bit more of the greatness of Christ. Exodus 34, 5. The Lord, that word Lord, L-O-R-D, capital L-O-R-D, is Yahweh. In the original language, Yahweh. And Yahweh descended in the clouds and stood there with him. Him is Moses. As he called upon the name of the Lord, Yahweh. So Moses is calling on Yahweh, calling upon the Lord. Then then Yahweh, verse 6, the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed. The Lord, or Yahweh, the Lord God, Yahweh God. So God appears before Moses now. Can you imagine this? And he's he's, he's, uh, meeting with Moses here. And God is telling Moses what his name is, Yahweh. The word, the name Yahweh is so sacred that, 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 the, that the Jews would use Yahweh. W-Y-H-W-H. They can't even say the name is so holy. But look at how Yahweh or God himself describes himself. The Lord, the Lord God, Yahweh, Yahweh God. Compassionate and gracious slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. This describes God's grace. When it says Jesus was full of grace, this is describing God. And what else does it say? And truth. So when the Bible, when John says in John 1.14, he was full of grace and truth, he's describing a description only fit for Yahweh. Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is Yahweh. This word full means to the max, not partial. Full, max. This is Jesus is full to the max, grace and truth. Only Yahweh could claim this. So when John says he was full of grace and truth, this is describing Yahweh. Jesus is Yahweh in the flesh, in a baby boy now. And you know what Moses did in Exodus 34, verse 8? 34, verse 8, Moses made haste. He made haste. He didn't wait to bow low towards the earth and worship. He was in the presence of God, and he began to worship Yahweh. What do the shepherds do when they come by night? They praise and glorify God. They worshiped. What did the magi do when they came with their gifts? Years later, they worshiped. This is the only response that we could have when we encounter God. Amen? That we worship him. And so when we read about the Christmas account, let's not get so used to hearing, oh yeah, God became a man. This is Yahweh taking on skin, becoming a baby boy who will live a perfect life and grow up to become a man. This is who we're dealing with. The creator of the universe took on flesh. The creator of the universe tabernacled with man, set his tent with man. The creator of the universe allowed us to see his glory, which was full of grace and truth. This is the Christ that we preach. 
This is the Christ that we celebrate on Christmas Day every year. Now let's finish up here. This whole, this whole idea that Christmas is about the love of God. Let's finish up here. As John took us to the beginning, let's go to the beginning. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1. The, the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Who is this God? Who is this God who said, let there be light, and light existed? Jesus is his name. And you know what happens in verse 27 or 26? The Godhead says this, 126. I underline that word, then God said, because God has a power to create with his word. Jesus is the word. Let us make man in our image. Look at hints of the Trinity here. When, when this is the word was with God, there it is. Let us make man in our, plural, in our image, in our likeness. Verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. God created man. And guess what? Take your mind back there now, if you're able to. However you could imagine this, take your mind back to that moment when nothing existed God says, let there be light, boof. And then five days later, he creates man. Before that even happened, let me, let me show, show you about the love of Christ. Ephesians 1 forces before the foundations of the world, God chose us to be with him. So as God literally, Yahweh is speaking light into existence and, spe and, and speaking man to exist, before that, God knew, Yahweh knew, Jesus knew that he would become a man who will live a perfect life, who will be destined to go to the cross, to be murdered by his own, and to rise up on the third day to save his people. What kind of love is that? You've got to understand, Christmas... And the cross were not like plan B. Oops, the Adam and Eve sinned, so we have to enact plan B. This was plan A from the very beginning. God created you and me knowing that we would struggle. God created you and me knowing that we would be weak. God created you and me knowing of our immorality, in our anger, in our lust, in our pride, in our selfishness. God did this knowing. And he knew he'd come down someday. And so when it says the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we beheld his glory, glory is of, of the Father, full of grace and truth. What? This is the God that came down. This is the God that came down to be with us. So when John 3.16 says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. What kind of love is this? This love existed for us before anything was ever created. What a great God we worship. What a great God. So Christmas, Christmas is about the love of God. And perhaps 2020, we've been able to see more clearly how we don't actually don't need these other things. We don't. We just need the love of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
I'm going to finish up here, guys. I'm going to finish up here. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. I'm going to read this for us. This is this. Uh, for God who said, light shall shine out of darkness. Let there be light. The same God who said, let there be light, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Has Christ been shown in your hearts to be the glory of God? If so, you are in the family of God. Amen? But perhaps today, you show up today online or in person not knowing this. You actually didn't believe that Jesus is God. You actually have not submitted your life to Christ as your Lord and Savior. Well, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of the great rescue. Today is the day of the great miracle that has taken place in your heart. I was blind, now I see. I was deaf, now I hear. My heart was hard, now it's soft. I was dead, now I'm alive. Spiritual rebirth has taken place. This is the day that you could say that I am part of the family of God and I've seen and heard God through the, Jesus Christ himself. You believe that Jesus died for your sins and he's alive and he's coming back and you want to give your life fully to him. Do it! Do it! Go with it! This is what God has done for you and me. And so Christmas is a special thing. It's about the birth of Jesus Christ, Yahweh in the flesh. Let's not, let's not forget this. And remember, as my brother talked about, love reaches out. Jesus incarnated with us. Let's do the same for the world. Let's incarnate with others. Let's love on them and be prepared to bring the message of Jesus Christ so they'll be different forever and ever. This is what we're talking about. This is why we're here. This is why we get to celebrate Christmas because we have this eternal hope within us. His name is Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Amen. Father, we thank you for this time to uh, preach your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for Christmas. I thank you that the secular world would acknowledge the birth of the Messiah, the birth of God come in human flesh. I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. Lord, I pray you would just sanctify our hearts. Will we be more about you, Lord? Will we just continue to confess and repent of areas of our lives that have not been reserved for you? May we fully submit our lives to you. Come under your lordship, Lord Jesus, and to trust in you more. Thank you that you came down to earth to save us. Thank you that you love us so much. Thank you, Lord. And Father, I pray for those who have not put their full trust in you, whether they're guests or they've been coming for years and years and years, I pray, Lord, that they would put their trust in you, Lord. I pray they will reach out to those who have been praying for them all this time to let them know the good news so that we could come alongside them and disciple them, to grow them into Christ-likeness so they could disciple each other. Father, we thank you for Christmas. Thank you, Lord. I pray, Lord, the word of Christmas will cause us to worship you to get on our knees to worship you. I pray, Lord, as we sing right now, that this song will just come up to heaven, to the third heavens, and you'll hear us, Lord, how much we love you, how much we appreciate you, how much joy you've given to us. So thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.